Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. Buckle your seatbelts, because today we will be looking at what I think is really one of the most frightening passages that we will read all year. That means it's one of the most frightening passages in the entire Bible. This passage demands that we stop and that we think and that we heed this warning in the scripture and avoid what I can only imagine to be one of the most horrifying experiences anyone could ever have. Let's look now at our New Testament reading. We're looking at Matthew 7, 7 through 29, and Luke 6, 43 to 49. And we'll kind of be ending up reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And near the end in Matthew, we will look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And these are intense Verses, But I'm hoping as we think about them today, in the end, we don't need to be frightened. In the end, we can actually be filled with confidence and with assurance and also with, with a passion and an urgency in gospel ministry. Let's look at those three verses in particular where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So think about what that passage describes. It describes people on Judgment Day. And on Judgment Day, when they have died and they stand before Christ, their expectation is, I'm going to heaven. But clearly, that is not what is going to happen. Now, that's where I'm saying, do do you see how frightening this passage is? Can you imagine something more horrifying then standing before Christ, anticipating being welcomed into heaven, only to be told, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. We need to think carefully because none of us wants to be there. None of us wants our loved ones to be there, uh, right? right. We need to make sure, look at this and say, God, how do I know that this is not me? And that's where God has given us the Bible. I don't think we're left to just wonder, left to guess. We can work through what Jesus teaches us to make sure we're not in this position. But I think we need to acknowledge there are a lot of people who are. I mean, just look at the statistics. How many people in the United States of America consider themselves to be a Christian? It's somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, 60 to 70%. And it's pretty similar uh, of how many people think that they are going to heaven, right? That this is what people think. They think they are going to heaven. A majority of Americans think that. Now we have to ask ourselves, are, are that many Americans really born again? And I think we would all say, no, 
And again, do we have precise numbers and figures? Can we even know how much of America is truly born again? Not really. But I think we would all agree that the gap between how many people profess to be Christians and think they are going to heaven and those who are actually born again Christians and are actually headed to heaven is large. That there are tens of of millions of people likely in our own country that are headed towards Matthew 7, 21 through 23. They are headed towards Lord, Lord, and hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. So how can we make sure that we avoid that? How can we make sure that in our churches, we're avoiding that as best we can? And that's where we are not in the dark on what the gospel is. We are not in the dark on what it means to really be saved. And so we need to lean into what the scripture says about that uh, because there's a weak assurance that we can get just from ourselves and our own thoughts. There's a weak assurance that can be propped up by other people, or there is a strong assurance that is based on the truth of God's word. Because if all you read is this passage, how could you not spend the rest of your life frightened about this? But that's not the way God wants Christians to live. And now enter into my world for a second. This is one of my greatest challenges as a pastor. I honestly think every week I get up to preach. I mean, probably even every day we're doing this podcast. I'm talking to somebody that thinks they're a Christian that isn't really saved. And also, I'm talking to somebody who really is a Christian, but really struggles to believe that and struggles with doubt and struggles with assurance. So how in the world do I minister to both of those people? How do I minister to the, the person sitting on this side of the auditorium that's doubting whether they're saved, but they actually are, and the person that's sitting on this side of the auditorium that thinks they're saved, but actually isn't, and especially how do I do that when it's not like I know with perfect knowledge even where, where those people are. A lot of that even is unknown to me. How do I do that? And that's where the answer is we need to lean into the scripture. The answer is not, well, just preach assurance, 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 because then I'm I'm doing a deadly disservice in helping somebody be self-deceived and, and have them be deceived and end up with this horrible ending in Matthew. Well, if I just preach, well, doubt, doubt, and and you're probably not saved, well, then I'm doing a terrible disservice to the doubting believer. And maybe they won't end up experiencing hell like the other person, but they'll experience hell on earth as they live their Christian life without that confidence. And so the only path forward is to really preach the biblical gospel. We need to understand what the Bible says about what it really means to be a Christian. And when we really understand that, we can have an assurance, we can have a joy, we can have a confidence, and we can help people avoid this horrifying ending while also help people avoid just living in fear of this ending. So what can we even learn about the biblical gospel from this passage? Well, and that's where I think we see some clear things. One clear misunderstanding, and I think we see both of these in our culture today, is one, there seems to be an idea of really a, a salvation that doesn't lead to any life change. Where also we see in this an idea of a, a works-based 
salvation. Both of those ideas, even though they might seem kind of separate, they're actually more related than you might think go together in this. Because Jesus says, you know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus clearly is not teaching some form of works righteousness here, because even that's conflicted with verse 22. You know, these people that say, well, didn't we do this and this and this and this and this? Look at all these works that we did. What Jesus is is showing us is real salvation will lead to change. Even before he just used the analogy of a tree and its fruit, real Christians are going to bear fruit. And that's where the Bible uses even the word works in a variety of ways. Uh, We see it works used in a negative way of used to refer to really people trying to earn their salvation. No, that's not it. But we also see works used in places like James uh, chapter two or in Ephesians chapter two that talk about the good things that Christians do that another way to describe it would be the good fruit that is born in the Christian life. So there we're starting to see uh, really the truth of the biblical gospel in contrast to some of these false forms of the gospel that we're going to see. Because there's still a lot of people today saying, hey, if you're a good enough person and if you go to church, you're going to heaven. That's not the biblical gospel. That is not real salvation. But there's a lot of people thinking, well, I go to church. I believe in Jesus. I mean, I'm not an atheist or anything. That means I'm a Christian. No, that is not what the Bible says. And there's also a lot of people saying, well, you know, if I just um, pray this prayer and, you know, say I believe in Jesus, uh, you know, then I'm good, right? And that's where the Bible makes it clear that there really needs to be something that goes on in our heart. Yes, it's not based on our works. It's based on believing in Christ. But even the Gospel of John has already shown us there's a difference between a real belief that's alive and bears fruit and kind of a phony, false belief. Right? And that's what brings us back to the biblical gospel. The gospel is really based on a trust, a faith in what Jesus has done for us. He lived, he died, he rose again for our salvation. And the response to that gospel is repentance and faith. I'm turning from my sin to trust in Christ. And if we do that, there, it's impossible for that faith not to bear fruit, that there wouldn't be some kind of works after salvation that, that, that show that. And that is not what we are basing our salvation on, but it is the fruit or the evidence of it. So let's bring it back to you. If you're asking yourself, am I really saved? If I was talking to you in a one-on-one setting, I would say, well, what's the gospel? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Have you turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And then I would ask you, you know, okay, then do your works totally contradict your claim, right? And that's, I think, confusing for a lot of people because if you look at this, it's clear that they were hypocrites. It's clear that they were saying one thing and clearly living something different. Because I do talk to a lot of Christians that Say, well, yeah, I see some change, but is it enough change? And that's where I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, danger. The Bible doesn't really talk about enough, right? It's more of a directional thing. And I'm asking not, oh, is there enough fruit? I'm saying, does, do, does the pattern of your life totally contradict 
your claim of salvation in Jesus Christ, right? More of a first John, the one who says that we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness. That's so clear of what Jesus is saying here. He's calling them you workers of lawlessness, right? It's clear that they might be saying one thing with their mouths, but they're clearly living something different. So how can you know you are saved? Well, do you know the gospel? Even could you articulate it to me? Have you turned from your sin and put your trust in Christ? That is the basis of our salvation. If you turn from your sin, you've put your faith in Christ, you are saved. Well, how do I know? How do works play into that? My question would be, do your works show uh, there has been a change in direction in my life? Or do your works show, no, I'm walking in darkness. I don't really... I don't really believe in Jesus because I'm still living for the world. I'm still living for myself. That's really how I think these people end up in this position. So my encouragement to you is dig into God's word. This is the most important question anybody could ever ask. And I don't want anybody to end up like this in Matthew chapter seven. I also don't want anybody to live unnecessarily in fear of ending up like this. So Do you trust Christ? Is Christ your hope for salvation? And then does the direction of your life show that there is fruit of that trust in Christ or is it a total contradiction? Those are the questions I would encourage you to think through. And I hope that God brings us all to a place of true faith and really true confidence and assurance and joy so that we don't end up like Matthew chapter seven in this horrifying ending that we see here. Now, we wanted to take some time to deal with that particular question there from Matthew 7. Just a couple other things to pick up. You see that familiar image in both Luke and Matthew of building the house on the rock and really see the challenge in that. That comes really from doing what Christ has said here, not just hearing his teaching, but living it out. So there's a challenge there, but there's also a promise, just a promise that that house stands firm, that Jesus's words are are worthy of building your life upon. Also, we see Jesus teaching about prayer at the beginning and just that image of he's a father who wants to give good gifts to his children. Does that mean he's going to give us everything we ever asked for? No, just like any good parent doesn't give their kids everything that they ask for, but they seek to give their kids what is good and what is best. And that's what our heavenly father does. And that should encourage us to pray to him. Finally, let's look at our reading in Genesis, Genesis 42 to 44. And as we look at this, it really gets into the drama between Joseph and his brothers and and they go to Egypt and he sees them, but he he calls them spies. And some of it's really interesting. We're like, is Joseph forgiving his brothers here? What is going on in these three chapters? And, And really, if I could give you one word to describe it, it's the word testing. He's really testing his brothers to see if they're the same guys that threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery or they've changed. And really, I think the testing reveals is there is some level of repentance and remorse and change that has happened with his brothers. We're even in chapter 44. Now we see Judah standing up for Benjamin and offering really to give his own life. I mean, maybe not in the sense that he would have died, but the rest of his life would have potentially been in a jail cell in Egypt. And he's willing to give his life or what's left of it really for the sake of his brother. And that's what we're going to see really. Our our next chapter is going to lead to Joseph breaking down and weeping and revealing himself. So it is some of this testing and what it reveals that really 
sets up then the ending of the book of Genesis and the ending really of the saga and the story of Joseph and his brothers. So we're going to see some of that testing today. But really, we want to think about the testing really of our faith. And my prayer, honestly, just before God is that everyone that is a part of our church or everyone that really consistently listens to this podcast is that you would actually be saved, that you wouldn't be self-deceived or thinking that you're saved when you're not. And that secondly, you would know that you're saved that you wouldn't have to live your life in fear of whether you're saved or not, but that you would be able to live a life just full of assurance and full of joy. And even because you have an assurance that's not just based on a feeling, that's not just based on you know somebody else saying that they think you're a Christian, but a, a foundation that's really built on the word of God and what it says about being a Christian. And ultimately that your faith is resting on Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. So we talked about a frightening passage, but I hope we're ending today with joy and confidence in the Lord. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.